Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? Higher Learning is on. It is I, Van Lathan. And it's me, Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Rachel Lynn Lindsay, Van Lathan Jr. here. Uh, I forgot the junior. Sorry, Dad. What What did you do this weekend? I was chilling. Honestly, I didn't do much because I was feeling a little sick again on Friday. I'm really trying to beat this thing. Whatever this is in my system, I'm trying to beat it. Um, so I, I was chill. We Okay, I have a confession to make. Okay, let's do it. Because one of the things we did was, you know, we're, we're deep into the Sopranos. Yeah, we're deep in. And I have to apologize. Right. I love it. Of course, of course you do. I love it. You it's know great. what? It was. I have to give shout out to the to the thought warrior that wrote me this. I cannot remember who you were, but she was like, "You need to understand that you were living life with these folks. You were traveling through their everyday life as they're living it like regular folks, but then also as like as a family, but then also as being part of the mob." So it's like you're waiting for something big to happen, but these people are just living out their lives and you're on the journey. And when I started looking at it like that, I was like, okay. But it was season four that got me. And I said, okay, I'm in this thing. So we, so we watched a lot of Sopranos, checked some things off the list, got some things done, but not, not a crazy weekend, a catch-up weekend. You know, we just got back from out of town. Got back from out of town. All right. Uh, what you do? I'm, I'm happy. I just chilled. Oh, I did. I did nothing. You know, I just chilled. Um, I'm happy that we were able to talk you into appreciating the greatest television show of all time. <laughs> you uh, say that, but then you take that back. Is it The Wire? Or is it this? Uh, the Wire is the. How about this? From an artistic standpoint, The Wire is the greatest show of all time. From an okay. entertainment standpoint, just entertainment, straight up drama. It's The Sopranos. The Wire no, no. is just the the. The Wire is the best written, uh, maybe the best performed, although Sopranos has some fantastic acting in it too. But The Wire is just perfect in its storytelling. The Sopranos just gives you higher highs because there's so much drama and stuff going on, you know? I will say, though, I'm in season five right, right now, and it might be the worst season. Season five is it's, the season It's introducing with, a lot of new characters because the class of 24 or, or 2004 has come back. Yeah, so. So all these old heads are coming back in and they're fighting over certain territory. And, and so like, it's a little confusing because I'm trying to figure out who's who and it's a lot of establishing characters, you know? So it's it's a little dull at times, I'm gonna Well, say. a lot of people would say that season four was the weakest season. I'm, I just love Edie Falco. Yeah. And she did her thing in season four. And I right. think that's what I fell in love with was the, her acting. Right. Because season five is, I think, when Tony Blundetto, his cousin, comes. Uh, Correct. Right. So, And I love Tony Animal Blundetto. What is I it? Is it, is it Buscemi character. or Buscemi? Steve Buscemi. Buscemi. Yeah, I, I just, I, you know, it's Steve Buscemi. And you should know how to say his name. I, I, it's just so interesting that like I can be in this situation. Is it Steve Buscemi? It's Steve Buscemi. He's a, he's a well-known Hollywood entity. It's just like you should know how to say his name. It's very upsetting. It, it's, it's, it's upsetting. Listen, I know who he is. Don't act like I did not know who he is. I just... Sure I understand. That was Siri. That Hold on. <laughs> that was Siri. You pressed that. No, you did I, that. I didn't do anything. Siri it's enough said, for you to call me out, but for Siri, Siri that's a little called too much. you out. Siri said, I'm not sure I understand. And she's still, <laughs> she's still taping me. Why is Siri taping me? 
Okay. What the hell's going on? I don't on? like when phones wig out like that. Like, get it under control. Why is Siri taping me, man? Um, don't act like I don't know who he is. I, I, I'm terrible at pronouncing names. I do it all the time on extra. I can't tell you how many times I have to retract because I say people's names wrong. It's right. just the thing. It's just what I do. All right. What's the hardest name? Who was the finals MVP? Don't, for the don't, Milwaukee don't, Bucks don't, don't, don't do that year? to me. What? I'm asking you. Uh, the Greek freak. What's his name? Say the Greek freak's Giannis. name. Giannis. What's his last name? Ante Tacumpo. That's actually right. See, look, give yourself credit. You just don't like Steve Buscemi, which is why you couldn't say his name. Because oh, Giannis, look, she, she froze you? in that thing. Or did I freeze? I never know who froze. That's him. Okay. Is it me or is it her? It's me because nobody's answering me. I okay, you were you were frozen. Think. You were frozen. Yeah, it looked like you were frozen, but I guess it was me that was frozen. Um, um, yeah. Uh, but ask me when I was on first take. They would come back from commercial all the time. And they'd be like, Rachel, that's not how you pronounce their name. Live mm -hmm. TV. Just saying right. everybody's name wrong. It's a lot of names. A lot of names out there. A lot of names. Uh, a little nerd stuff dropped over the weekend. It was a big um, a big hubbub in Nerdland yesterday. It's the wrong podcast, man. It's the wrong I podcast. Still, I got to say it. Are you excited <laughs> that the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer leaked yesterday? I thought it didn't leak. I thought Sony was preventing it. I saw it. From leaking. Okay, so here's my question. This is why I tell you you're on the wrong podcast talking about this stuff. Right. How many The last Spider-Man I saw uh -huh. was with Tobey Maguire. Right. That's a long time ago. Yes, and it was when he like was bitten by the other one and he had the black suit. Spider-Man 3. So how far are we from that? I mean, we're leaps and bounds. It's very, okay. very... I mean, so there have been two guys to play Spider-Man since then. Andrew Garfield jumped in for a couple of movies. First Andrew Garfield movie was, ah, okay. Second, okay. Second Andrew Garfield. You know what? Oh, bullshit. I didn't really mind Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man as much. He had two movies. Uh, now, Tom Holland, who you interviewed... Is is Spider-Man. But we didn't talk Spider-Man. <laughs> and he is this this will be his third movie as Spider-Man, and he has played Spider-Man in two Avengers movies. And a Captain like America movie. Who's your favorite Spider-Man? Toby Maguire. Okay. Yeah, so Toby. good. So that so I quit at the right time. I guess. Whatever. If that's how you want to live your life, <laughs> that's fine with me. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. 
It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right, we got to get into it. Rachel, Rachel, Rachel had a take, you guys. Rachel had a take about something, all right? She put it in the group chat this weekend. We have to talk about it. The Prefontaine Classic was this past Oh, that's weekend. not what I thought you were about to talk about. <laughs> oh, we'll, no, we'll go to something that's else. Not what I no. But okay, the Prefontaine, okay, Prefontaine. The Prefontaine Classic was this past weekend, and it was uh, it's a track race up there in Oregon, and it was very, very, very anticipated because of the fact that this was going to be Sha'Carri Richardson's first time back on the track since right. not being able to compete in the 2020 Olympics. Uh, Olympics that the Jamaican sprinters, uh, notably the Jamaican women, completely dominated. They dominated mm-hmm. on both sides, but the women really, really did their thing. So Sha'Carri Richardson was going to be running the 100-yard dash, which she did. She ran the 100-yard dash, and I want to say the name of the woman who won the race. Her name is Elaine thompson Hara. She, ra- she ran a 10-5-4, an amazingly fast time. Now, off the pace... Uh, of the world record time, which is of course held by Florence Griffith Joyner, um, I think ten four something, which is but a, but but what she did is the second fastest time ever, 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 and, ever. and people haven't been getting close to FloJo at all, so right. this is huge. And FloJo ran that back in the eighties, so yeah. a long time ago for people not to be getting faster. Um, but here's the deal: even though Elaine won the race, shout out to the women of Jamaica who who were able to win and I think took a clean sweep in the first three places if I remember uh, maybe they did maybe they did they but they dominated in the again. Olympics they did I don't know if they did in this but okay uh this race was a lot about who came in last and who came in last year ninth was Shakari Richardson uh Shakari came in ninth um this is after she had gone on TikTok I posted a TikTok where she basically said, I'm back, bitches. This is actually after she had tweeted during the Olympics. I bet you guys missed me as these Jamaican ladies were winning gold medals and silver medals and doing all kinds of things like that. She came up and she basically laid an egg during this particular race. Um, You texted into the group chat. Is it okay if I say this? Oh, please. Go ahead. Uh, You texted into the group chat that you felt like Shakari quit. Yes. In this race. And you think she quit? I do. I do. Mm. I watched the race like 15 times. I kept rewinding it and going back and watching it. I, I'm no Shakari, but I grew up doing track for years. And as I was, <laughs> okay. not, I'm not even close. <laughs> okay. She ran a 10, <laughs> no. 700. No. Like, you know what I mean? 100 like, no. wasn't even my race. No, I'm just saying, I'm right. more so saying it because like I ran track, like age six all the way. <laughs> but you know, how, so, you know how that know, sounds. Yes. No, I know. Which is oh, okay. why I'm laughing, oh, 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 I'm laughing as okay. I'm saying it. Because right. I'm like, because what I was going to say is I've run, I ran track and people are going to be like, okay, you're not right. sure. Like, if this were, I know if, I'm not her. If this were me and I was like, if I'm talking about, Kevin Durant or something. I go. Yeah. I played basketball in high school. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But you and you do you do know. that. And just to know, you do do that. No, I don't. Okay. 
I don't, not when I compare it to an NBA player. No, I'm not comparing myself. I'm just about to give like, I'm just about to talk track. Oh, go for it. Is go what I'm it. saying. Go you know, like I know I didn't even run in college. I know, I know my limits. But um, if you watch the race, when she comes out the blocks, right? She had a good start. At first I thought she had a bad start. I rewatched it. I'm like, nah, she had a good start. You can see the point where she pulls back in the race. She doesn't even get, she might, it might be like, 30 meters and you can see her pull up and she's just coasting the rest of the race. What I think she saw was them getting away from her. I don't, I think Shakari knew she was not going to win that race and she pulls up and she coasts the whole way through. When she says, you know what I can do? We know that she she's better than the time that she gave us. We know she can do better than that. She saw that she was losing the race. It was better for her to run the race that way than to go all out and lose to the Jamaicans. That's my take. That's why I say she quit. I'm not saying she quit as in she stopped. I'm saying she pulled up and coasted the rest of the race. And if you go back and you watch it, you can find the exact moment where she does it. Because she was losing. So she was losing the race. The moment I, I saw that you said that she quit, I thought about something. And a lot of people that are not as old as me are not going to remember this. But back in the 90s, we had an amazing sprinter. His name was Michael Johnson. Do you guys remember Michael oh. Johnson? Of course you remember Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson ran the 200 and the 400 meters. And he was basically, couldn't be beaten either. Now, since then, in the 200, Usain Bolt has beat his time. Um, But Michael was so fast at that point mm -hmm. that it made people ask the question, was he actually the fastest man in the world? Because at mm -hmm. this point, there was a Canadian guy named, I think, Donovan Bailey was his name. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he was running the 100, and he had one Olympic gold in the 100. But people were saying, hey, Michael Johnson is so fast at the two that Donovan Bailey uh, might not be the fastest man in the world. It might actually be Michael, uh, Michael Johnson. His top speed is faster than Donovan Bailey's and his splits or whatever. So they talked so much shit that they ended up having a race. And the race was like a 150 with a little curve in it and they were going to <laughs> they were going to uh finally figure out who was the best. They had a race, they had different rules, they had a different track, the whole deal. During this race, they were coming around the turn and Donovan was in front and Michael pulled up. He said that he injured his hamstring. Now the hamstring injury ended up being legit. Um it ended up being legit. He was out a lot of the the the, the next rest of the season. But a lot of people thought in that situation that he quit. And I because he was not going to beat Donovan Bailey, and there was like a million dollars on the line uh, and so much bragging rights. Saying that an athlete quit, I remember even then thinking, damn, what if Michael Johnson quit because he was an Olympic half? Saying an athlete quit is the biggest accusation that you can level at them. I'm not here's the thing so I'm asking you this so let me ask you a question then. Mm -hmm. so if in fact and my and I say that to she say that, 100% pulled up in the race I'm okay, sorry you can okay. you can find the exact whoa, 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 moment when she okay. did it I'm not saying that she didn't what I'm saying is because after that Michael Johnson's thing was never quite the same mm -hmm. all right injuries mm -hmm. whatever got a little older whatever but the time mm -hmm. of Michael Johnson being an untouchable gold-plated sprinter or whatever was over um if in fact she did quit does it change your opinion of Shikari Richardson? Not at all. See, I'm not one of those people who was like, I, 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 my, I was more excited to see her on the track. I wasn't like, oh my gosh, she's going to get first. Or is she, you know, is she, I, 
to me, with all we were, I was excited to see her run. I was mad we missed her in the Olympics, and I wanted to see her on the field again. I'm not one of those people either who was like, oh, she talked all that talk, and and then she didn't even perform. No, forget that. She got back out there because part of this was a mental thing, and we and we we talked about this. You know, she was going through some things, and then she had the whole world and attention on her. When she didn't make the Olympics, everybody's watching her every move, deciphering every single tweet. She's got all this criticism she's got to overcome. She overcomes that and gets back on the track. I was just happy to see her there. It does not change my opinion of her. I do think that it wasn't as important maybe for her to go out and and feel like she needed to win this race. It was more important for her to just be back and 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 get a feel of the track and be back out there and get back in the rhythm of things. I mean, now like the season's pretty much over. But um no, it doesn't change my opinion of her. I just saw her pull up. You know, I think it would have been if you told me she faked an injury or something, that's different. But like the race was getting ahead of her as a runner, you can feel the race pulling away from you. And she felt it and she just huh. coasted her whole way through. That's not like she's faster than that. Okay. A couple of things. Afterwards, she gave a press conference. A couple of yeah. them, actually. Defiant. She says she's not going anywhere. You guys have probably seen it by now. She's the sixth fastest woman in the history of, of this sport, which is an incredible accomplishment, and she will be back. She says she's not done. She says it's not over. Uh, Shikari Rich isn't going anywhere. She says all the haters, everybody's going to talk this. She will be back, and I hope that she will be back. A couple of things. My take is this. Whether she quit or whether she didn't quit, last is not going to get it. It, it, what do you mean not gonna get it last like she can't keep getting last is what you're saying no what i'm saying is that there's two things to this number one we put a lot of expectations on shikari richardson um before she actually got a chance to go out and prove who she was against the world's best best right sure so a lot of this really isn't even fair to her but it's not that people don't people there's a misnomer here. People think that, oh, we don't like people that are confident. We don't like people that talk shit. We don't like people that 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 pound their chest. No, that's not true. We love people like that, that do it and then back it up. Like there are all types of people from all different types of sport that don't do sports that don't do mm -hmm. anything but talk shit and then they can't back it up. Mm -hmm. Adrian Broner in boxing is a guy who's mm -hmm. one of the best boxers of the, in, in the game <laughs> talks a gang of shit is a fun guy to, to leading up to a fight but ends up in the ring at least recently since the Madonna fight not being able to back up the shit that he talks after a while that wears on people now this is not a this is not an indictment of her over time it's just an indictment of her of the right now look you can't do all of that stuff and not expect a little blowback if you go out there and run last I don't know if she quit. I'm having a problem understanding how you could believe she quit, gave less than her best effort on purpose, and that in no way says anything about her. How does that what, work? What was her because what was her intention to come to come out there, right? She kept saying, I'm back, I'm back, y'all watch me, y'all watch me, y'all watch me. Was her intention to go out there and just get back on the track, or was it to win the entire race? I don't know. Why would she be on the track if if her intention sure. wasn't to win the race. You're right. I'm sure it was to win the race. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you, I, you're the one saying she quit. 
quitting to me would have been stopping mid-race. No, no, no. I'm not saying she quit. You said no, she quit. No, you're saying you're using the word quit. I said she started coasting. When she saw the race was getting away from no, her, she Rachel, just coasted. You used the word quit. You said she quit. Oh, I did say she quit. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> right. I'm forgetting my text. I'm sorry, right, so sorry, right. sorry. I'm forgetting what I text. I'm just thinking right. what I'm saying here. I, yeah, she quit. What I meant she quit is that she pulled up. I guess I wasn't saying like she quit, like she just stopped running. She uh -huh. coasted when she saw the race was getting away from her. Like rather than, because I, I, my belief is, so look at it how you want. My belief is she would rather coast her way through where it's obvious she wasn't running as hard as she can than to run full out and get fourth or fifth. It, okay. To me. I, to, as a to, pride thing, as a pride thing, I think that looks better because I think anybody can watching it can tell she started coasting midway through that race. Well, actually, I couldn't tell. I'll tell you this, though. She also withdrew from the 200, which is another race that she ran after that race. She was supposed to come back and run the 200, and she withdrew from the 200 for whatever reason. I don't know if there, there, there was no injury cited. There was no reason given that I saw, but she withdrew from the 200. If, the, if, there, if anybody knows a reason that, that she cited for withdrawing from the 200, I'm not sure, but she withdrew from the 200. Her, um, her fastest time is a 10-7. Right. She ran an 11, 11 like 11 point, 11, one, four. Like you tell me that she's, I, that she's I, not better I don't than know. that. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure she can go faster. What I'm saying is this is like, it's a weird, it's a weird spot. Nobody wants to be one of the people with their pitch, their pitch for force out for Shikari Richardson, but right. especially we're talking young black lady. And by the way, everybody that says, the hate for Shakara Richardson is because, you know, certain people hate to see black women get ahead. I understand that sentiment because she's a confident black lady. But remember, there was only black ladies there. Like black ladies flourish in track. So giving flowers to the ladies that won or talking about someone who has had a different set of fame or a different level of fame because of who they are. It doesn't necessarily make you a hater of black ladies, all right? And I've heard that, and I'm very sensitive to that criticism that's been leveled out there. It hasn't been leveled against me, but it's been leveled against a bunch of people. We're talking about sports now. We're talking about an athlete who went out there. And, and what I'm having trouble with is the one thing that you ask for anybody in competition, if you're going to appreciate what they do in competition, is that they give it their best. And just, being, right. and just being on the track is not sufficient enough. That's not that's not good enough. So, you're right about that, but as a pride thing, right? Would you rather go out there and it looks like you didn't you didn't run your fastest time? Like like she said, I'm better than this, y'all know what I can do, and she's right. Like you you've run a whole point 4 seconds better, which is extremely significant in track, especially the 100 meters uh, or in in a sprint. Um, would you rather that you didn't go full out or would you rather that is it better for your pride to say i ran my fastest and i got fifth to me is to me for me personally and anybody will tell you this for me personally it's better to do the absolute best job you can to okay. me to me it's better to be like yo i left every single thing that i could leave on that court, that field of that track, and it wasn't good enough. And so now I know what it is that I need I, to do. I get that. I'm actually shocked nobody asked her if she pulled up. Yeah, because nobody, because a lot of people, I feel like asking her that question, they would think that that was disrespectful to her, to be honest with you, because as an Olympian, what she had to sacrifice to get 
I guess an Olympian. But I mean, as, I wouldn't. To, ask, to get to get all the way to that point, people are going to expect that she gave she she gave and she gives the best every time she's running. Well, I wouldn't ask the question like that, but it would more so if I was a reporter, I would have asked her. I'd be like, you know, in watching the race, Shakari, it looked like around 30, 40 meters, you pulled up a little bit and it seemed to be coasting. We've seen you run a whole four point seconds better. Can you talk a little bit about what happened to you during that race? That's exactly what I would have asked her because I would have been curious as to what she would have said. Oh, I got a bad start. Oh, you know, I did. I'm a little rusty. I took a month off. I, I would be curious as to what her reasoning was. Yeah. Um. Look. I'll say this. There's a space here to criticize Shikari Richardson. There for there there is. And we're talking about sports now. So for those who are fans of her, like I am, hoping she gets back to the top, hoping she gets back to performing the way that she knows that she can perform. If she never goes faster than 10-7, and 10-7 means that she's third or fourth in every single race, that's fine. I mean, I'm not saying she has to go out there and run a personal best every time, but hoping that she gets through whatever she's going through so she can go back there. But I can tell you one thing. The, you can't pay too much attention to the cheers and you can't pay too much attention to the booze. That's very true. Very and true. You, and if you're her, go out there and do what you've been doing because it was running that put you where you are right now. Not TikTok, not, not adulation from social media, not even the hair or the nails, which I love the fact that she expresses I herself. I love the fact that she expresses herself that way. But the reality is it's the track that got her here and it's the track that's going to push her forward. And can I just say in piggybacking on that, when it comes to criticism, there's a difference between criticizing her performance on the field versus her. And I think that, that people were combining that criticism and that's where things were too much and went a little too far. You can criticize for what she did on the track, but don't criticize her as a person. Well, do you understand what I'm saying? I, no. Yeah, I do, and I disagree because because oh, we don't have to talk about that. You can criticize her race, right, but you but, can't. But criticizing like her speech after, or, like the way she was in it, or any like that's like wait, that's or, like or, saying you can criticize LeBron, but you can't criticize the decision when he made a whole infomercial about him going to Miami. It was too much. Like we do this all the time. Or you can you can criticize an athlete's play on the floor, but you can't criticize what they say in a press conference. You can't criticize what you can't criticize an athlete for like a basketball not player for they, saying. That's, but see, it's not just what she said in the press conference. It's the it's the way people were coming at her on Twitter. And to me, it seemed a little bit more personal than it did with her performance on the track and field. I guess that's what I'm saying. I get it. Everybody gets this, man. Listen, like when I say everybody gets this, I like I don't. I understand it and I, I get it, but there is a point to where we're coddling, right? I'm not saying that this is that anybody should be sure. mean, mean on purpose, but I remember I told you about the Kevin Durant pie thing, right? I, I put a post up like my top five favorite pies, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Kevin Durant says, I like apple pie. And niggas was like, fuck you. You should have stayed in Golden State. I'm like, God damn. You know what I mean? So what I'm saying is part of this, the criticism surrounding her that's what comes with greatness. And if she's going to overcome that, I I want everyone to be nice to everybody. But you can't make the TikTok video, I'm back, bitches, and then go out there and run ninth and, ex and, and expect people are not going to have nothing then to say. Then criticize her performance. That's what I'm saying. That, Like you said, that wasn't going to cut it. You're going to have to do better than that. That's not talking about her performance. That's fine. That's criticism about it. I'm talking yeah. about her when it's personal. Okay. On the other side of this break, we have... Just one of the busiest, most talented, 
brothers in Hollywood, one of the creators of so many shows that you guys like. When I say one of the creators, I'm talking about Blackish. I'm talking about Insecure. I'm talking about he wrote on Living Color. He wrote on the Fresh Prince. He wrote on everything. He might have just wrote on the Bible. His name is Larry <laughs> Wilmore. He hosts a podcast here on The Ringer called Black on the Air. We're going to have him next on Higher Learning on the other side of this break. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. Uh, so, you know, you know what I'm gonna do for the for the next person, for the next man, the next black man joining us on Higher Learning. I'm just gonna run down some stuff for you real quick, you guys, because you guys don't know, because we never we never really talk about giving people flowers. Okay, so he was recurring on the flat facts of life. So staff writer on In Living Color, that show uh, always gets you right there. Writer producer on the <laughs> Fresh Pints of Bel Air and the Jamie Foxx show. So he got all y'all reruns locked up. Co-creator of the PJs with Eddie Murphy. That was fantastic animation madness. Uh, created and produced the Bernie Mac show. Rest in peace. You guys all love that show. Created and produced Whoopi with Whoopi Goldberg. Okay, white people, you thought you were getting left out. You are not because he was a consulting producer on The Office. Okay, and he, pro he was on my favorite episode of The Office, which was the Diversity Day episode uh, right there. He was the senior black correspondent on The Daily Show. Hell of a title right there. Hosted the w R Larry Wilmore Show. If you thought he was done, no. Executive <laughs> producer on Blackish, Grownish, co-creator, writer, and executive producer on Insecure. And he hosted a late night show called Wilmore, 11 episodes on Peacock. And he has his very own podcast right here on the Ringer Network. It's Larry the Wilmore. only thing we care about is the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Black, oh, Black on the Air. We are joined today by Larry Wilmore, Larry, Thank how you, are man. you doing, my brother? Good. That's such a nice intro. Thank you so much. It's yeah. ridiculous. Like when I like, you know, I never ask you for money. We're friendly. <laughs> we text, but I never hit you up. Like I'm giving you money. Give, yeah. give me, give me twenty thousand. I never. But look. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Did you hear all of this? Right, close mouths don't get fed. Shoot your shot. Go ahead. Larry, when you hey, hear... Jeff Bezos, did, Jeff Bezos sat people in a room and said, I need all of you motherfuckers to give me $50,000 and you will not regret it. And like 30 out of 100 said, yes, I wish I had been in that room. <laughs> I was like, yeah, take it. Go, yeah, go. get it. 
Get it. Yeah. Um, when you hear all of that run down, do you ever think, Jesus Christ, I'm the fucking man? Do you ever feel that way? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I just, I try to focus on gratitude. I'm just so, you know, fortunate to be able you know, to have such a long career, you know, it's something that I've always wanted to do is many times people say, Larry, how did you get into comedy? And I say, you know what? Actually, I'm in showbiz so I could get comedy out of me. It was already oh. there. You know, if I worked in a bank, I'd be telling jokes, but I'd probably get fired all the time, you know. So right. I needed a place to um to get that out. But I, I had always been interested in different things, even from the beginning. Like in my career, when I started out, I was a theater major. Like my first card was an equity card. So Actors' Equity was the first union I was in. Uh, I did this thing at the Mark Taper Forum called uh, the Improvisational Theater Project. Forrest Whitaker was a buddy of mine way back in the day. We kind of started out together. He had been in that. And then at the same time, I was doing stand-up comedy, which is a little more entrepreneurial. You know, you're doing your own business type of thing. So I had two things going, you know, trying to be an actor and you know, and trying to do this other thing. And and the reason I became a writer was because of Hollywood, where Hollywood was like, uh, we only feeling a couple of kind of niggas, sorry. You know, like, <laughs> we're not feeling all over during that time. So I was really inspired by Robert Townsend, Keenan, Spike, you know, all those guys who are kind of contemporaries and said, I, could, I just got to do, I got to make my own path, which is why I started writing and producing, really. Mm. Mm. With all the things that you've done and you continue to do, what's your favorite hat to wear? It's, you know, it, it's a great question. Um, um, it probably is producer because <laughs> maybe I learned that I have control issues after all these years. But um, I like to see the whole picture come to fruition, you know, and see it done, you know. And I don't mind answering questions. Like some people have a really tough time giving answers, you know. What do you think we should do? Um, I don't know. What do you want to do? It's like, no, no, no. Just say yes or no or this or that. Right. You know, like I don't have a problem making decisions. And I've noticed that a, many people have problems with that. And I like collaborations. You know, it's something that I really enjoy. I love collaborating, especially with um, smart, artistic people. It's something that I've always enjoyed. So liking those two things, you don't have to do it all when you produce. I think you have to collaborate intelligently if you want to be a good producer. Mm. Mm. Um. So Larry and I talk and we've had talks and sometimes yeah, yeah. me and no sometimes every show. No, sometimes I'm a big fan of yours too, by the way. I love (laughs) I love the fact of how you've come up and everything. It's just so just so great. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Larry. And by the way, Larry, here's the thing. On the last show. Rachel yeah. says on the last Uh-oh. show, we had Dominique Dawes on. I didn't even tell guys. I didn't even tell Dominique. I heard a clip from that. Yeah. I didn't even tell her how much I was in love with her in the 90s. Ooh. And Dominique couldn't care less that I was here. She came yeah. on here and she went, I love you, Rachel. I love you, Rachel. I love you, Rachel. And they yeah. grilled it up. And I was like, OK, I guess we'll start the fucking questions now. Well, I heard that Kobe story. I mean, this is somebody who hung with, you know, she spent some time with Kobe. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So forget like, you, man. Yeah, fuck that. Um, Larry. <laughs> I, I so when, when we talk, it's a lot of times yeah. it like we we spar a little bit. We tend to spar, yeah, which is good. Which is good. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, we but, both enjoy that. We don't we don't feel threatened by disagreeing. No, not at all. I, right. I, I do have a question for you though. Uh, there's not that much space between us age wise, but there's a little bit. So my question would be, older black guy, OG in the culture. What's one thing that you wish younger black people knew? Hmm. Um, 
That's an interesting question um, that I wish that they knew. That they wish like one thing, because as I get older, there start to be things, I wish I could make these kids see that. Mm-hmm. I wish I could make these kids understand that. And you just, you can't, because you don't want to come off as the guy that's get off, getting off my lawn all the time. Yeah, and, I'm not really you know, that guy. Right, <laughs> I'm not me, you know, that's not right. my thing. But is there anything that you feel like in all the social commentary that you've done through your art that the younger generation is missing? Well, I don't know if they're missing, but I would say this. I would say that every generation has had it as hard as you think you have it uniquely right now, you know? Mm. So so when I hear things, you know, well, you know, when I was coming up, we had 9-11 and then we were in a war, you know, and then we had the financial crisis. I go, yeah, when I was two, the president of the United States was assassinated. He was shot in the head. (laughs) I was two, you know, and then I was I was six. Martin Luther King was shot in the head, you know, Malcolm X was shot. Yeah, exactly. You know, I saw all these leaders assassinated, you know, that, you know, there was a lot of things that happened. But every generation can point to touchstones that feel like they're almost impossible to to get through or hurdle, but you know, it, I just see them as challenges, you know, that everybody has. So, Is so that what- oh, it's okay. So I want to tell you, it's okay. Don't worry. Every generation has it tough, but you'll get through it and you'll be telling the younger generation, oh, you have no idea what I had to go through when we were coming up. Yeah. But, but see, I'm going to be honest with you, Larry. Sometimes I think you're right. And sometimes I think you're wrong. Sometimes I think that it's, we'll be telling the younger generation how tough it was while we're enslaved by AI robots. Oh no, <laughs> don't, are, don't. Like, You know what I mean? Like we'll be, we'll, we'll be telling them, don't worry, hey, we had it tough, you know what I mean? It's, it's weird, it's, it's weird, but or, I understand what you, what? Or to be the robot saying it, you have no idea how. <laughs> <laughs> right. but Black people were free in those days. <laughs> <laughs> to piggyback off of what Van was saying though, about what you, maybe what you could tell the younger generation, black younger generation, is that why it was so important for you to be a part of the Amend series that was on Netflix, Mm. discussing the 14th Amendment? Because I feel like a lot of time everyone's like, oh, that's my first amendment rights, second, people know second amendment, even fifth, right? You know, self-incrimination. But the 14th, people don't understand the rights that they have underneath it and how they can apply them. Absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely right. It was an education for all of us. I was lucky enough to be on the documentary at Sundance a few years ago. And I've always loved documentaries, but I've never been that up close to them. And I was like, oh man, I gotta make a documentary. (laughs) You know, I love this art form, you know? And um, I was actually called by Will, Will Smith to to do Amend. They they had had a team together to do a straightforward documentary, but he wanted to do a more creative one that pulled on a lot of different levers, you know? Uh, where there was entertainment in it, it was accessible. It wasn't, it tried not to take sides. It was, you know, just telling the uh, truth. But as you say, there were so many applications that were kind of hiding in plain sight that a lot of people didn't even know about. And the chance to get to do that, oh man, it was huge. You know, I, I had so much, it was such an education and being able to put you know, all the things that I felt that I had learned from my experience kind of in that in terms of point of view and that kind of stuff, which a lot of people didn't know. Like a lot of people don't don't realize how ordinary racism was, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. People think it's this thing where people hate you and everything. Some of the nicest people were some of your best racists. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, and what are the examples of it? Uh, what was that movie where, uh, oh, in the, um, see, I can't remember the name of it, but it was uh, Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X. What was the name of the movie? Just came out. Uh, One oh, Night Miami. Uh, yeah. One Night Miami. One Night Miami. Had that brilliant scene with Jim Brown in the beginning where he's, where he's I, talked to the guy. I knew it was going to go bad. Like, it, like, like, <laughs> but, but then, it didn't go bad. It went normal. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, you're right. That's the thing. That it right. went normal. It didn't go abnormal. That shit went normal. <laughs> right. It, it, so it, there was a, uh, one of my friends, his dad was telling me a story. When I tell you these are the nicest white people I've ever known. Yeah. When I tell you, so this was so. I'm not going to say this person's name because I, they, this is one of my best friends. But I used to come over to their house and their mom would try to feed me, you know, gumbo. She'd be like, Van, I cooked. Do you want some gumbo? And I, I look at the gumbo. I'd be like, mm, I'm not hungry. I don't want any <laughs> because I'm not about to eat gumbo when you put you didn't put Franks in it. And so I'm not eating that. You know what I mean? But mm. his dad was telling me a story one time. And his father's a great guy about his father. And he was like, there was this guy. They used to come over to our house and mow our lawn. And he was a black guy. And my parents mm-hmm. treated him just fine. And they, they would they would bring him out um, uh, lemonade to drink right. and, and stuff like that. And the lemonade they would bring him out to drink was in mason jars. And he was and it was like, it took me a while to learn that we never drank out of mason jars. Mm-hmm. That the lemonade that we were drinking, that they had a different set of dishes for the niggas that might come around and they would not drink behind him even after they had washing and he and he was like he was telling me this he was like because i never looked at my father as that way till i was an older guy and he became a hippie and stuff and that's how deeply ingrained it was it's like looking at their relationship they talk they do whatever but he would not drink out of the same glass that this man had drank out of and people don't think that it's that ingrained that it's to that degree Man, so ingrained that you had to have different um, cemeteries. Think of it. Yeah. Even in yeah. death, you a nigga. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. No. Um. <laughs> After you've gone, you know, there's nothing left. Those look like some ashes from a nigga. You're ashes. No, no, there's a nigga ashes right there. <laughs> um. I want to ask you about I somebody. Know, I don't know how if we could talk like this in your podcast, but oh, we, we can. definitely can. We definitely, <laughs> oh, okay. we definitely can. That was funny. You, know you can't on mine, yeah. right? Um, I want to ask you about somebody. Uh, speaking of this, uh, one of your friends right now, a lot of Black Americans Americans don't know what to make of him. The guy Bill Maher. You and Bill right. Maher. You and Bill Maher are are, are are pals. And I've actually even hit you before, like you know what's going on. It's seeming right. like it. It seems like Bill Maher is going over the edge. It's the same thing that kind of happened to Christopher Hitchens in the end where mm-hmm. Christopher Hitchens was for a long time looking at the world one way and then all right. of a sudden he turned on the dime post 9-11 really and Christopher Hitchens was popping up on Fox News. It seems like a lot of people feel like Bill Maher has become over on the last couple of weeks sort of the enemy of progress and a spokesperson for white privilege. Do you think that that's a fair assessment of what's going on on real time? No, absolutely not. And 
I mean, in Christopher Hitch- Hitchens defense, he was a raging alcoholic. So he was. <laughs> I, and I, by the way, I've read a lot of Hitchens. I, I've read a lot of Hitchens. I loved Hitchens, but yeah, it got weird towards no, the he end. He was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, he's absolutely brilliant. Even when I the thing with me is even when I disagree with Hitchens and I have Hitchens book, which is real fat, which has some amazing stuff in it. But even if you can disagree with him and still say that shit was pretty good, but I don't I don't agree with it. You know, yeah. which is, as you know, pretty much the position that I come from. I believe that Bill Maher has always been contrary, always. Remember, his show in the 90s was politically politically incorrect. And even back then, he had people like Ann Coulter in the show, you know, and he was he um, always kind of had a that libertarian line of where where he feels freedom should exist. And a lot of where he feels freedom should exist is in speech. And that's been a position he's held for a long time. So a lot of his arguments really are around speech and expression and where he feels, not that I'm standing up for Bill Maher. Sure, sure, I'm just asking, yeah, yeah. But I don't think he's changed so much, so much as the issues that people care about kind of ride around some of those issues. And if Mm -hmm. it feels like he's on the other side of that, then it's like, yo, Bill, what are you talking about? What do you mean by that? It's like when the ACLU defended the Ku Klux Klan for their right to march. It's like, what are you doing, ACLU? It's like, sorry, we got to defend it for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I get it. It's, it seems as if, though, and this is, it seems as I if think speech is his biggest issue is, is is another way to say it, you know, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care which side that falls on. It's going to be his issue. So if is he's if he's going to be on the right side of the equation, then he's like, I don't care. Mm, OK, fair enough. Rachel. Um, I'm gonna go back to TV because I have a couple of questions about TV shows. Two mm-hmm. of the shows that you're affiliated with. Yes. Are, or that you work on, I should say, um, are in their last seasons, Blackish yes. and Insecure. And I, I helped launch those shows. With Blackish, I helped Kenya do the pilot in the first season because I was going off to do my show. So, but uh, Insecure, I co wrote it with Issa. We co wrote the pilot. And then I kind of gave notes from afar for only the first season. And then I didn't work with it after that. But, you know, Issa and I, you know, we're all, everybody's still friends and everything. But, Technically, I haven't worked on those shows in a long time, oh, okay. but I am sad to see them go. So. Yeah, because I was going to ask, like, what's what's next for the shows? I didn't realize you still weren't weren't with them. But yeah. also, like, they're just such great black TV shows that we're losing. Right. So I'm like, well, what you got next for us? Because, you know, you're always on the cusp of what's what's happening. Well, one thing that I like black. to do, like when you ask me about looking back, I'm always looking forward. So I'm always trying to create the next thing. So even mm-hmm. as we're talking, you know, and all that stuff is going on, you know, I'm trying to get that next thing on the air, whatever it is. And I, and Rachel, one of the things that, that I'm always motivated by, I try to put something on television that I feel is not on right now. Um, I'm working on a project with Kerry Washington right now that hopefully we'll get on, get on soon. And it's based on uh, Sean Holly, the uh, um, black lawyer who she just, uh, um, yeah, she was down with Johnny Cochran, and now and with, and with Trevor Bauer, she just handled that case. Yeah, you know? oh, I, I worked at I worked at TMZ. I know Sean well. You know Sean. <laughs> you know, Sean is a ridiculous superstar. She's one of those superstars. She is that. the best, and no one gives the props. She is, she is right not. there. Yeah. So this is a show we're giving her all of her flowers of this show. It's kind of based on her, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, we just found our lead for it. And it's very exciting. So I've been, you know, I've been working on stuff like that. I've got a, a show that I'm writing right now that um, I love doing shows like this because I get to procrastinate from writing the stuff that I'm supposed to be writing. <laughs> 
Um, I've got about five other shows that are in development right now. You know, everything from hour long to half hour and that type of thing. I'm doing a show with the Native American writer right now, uh, trying to get that on the air. Um, I love different types of stories, uh, not just culturally, but also point of view and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Would I'm you ever for it. would you ever consider writing something? Okay. So is there a world where you whites write where you write something? Where you write something? Yeah, I can always like, tell the it's like, gonna what? be a trap in here somewhere. It's not trap. Because you're not already trap. tripping over the language it's, it's <laughs> Would you ever could you see yourself writing all white characters in a in a show? Could I see myself? Yeah. Um, I've written shows that weren't black lead shows, if that's what you mean. Um, I created a show called uh, uh, Beverly Hills SUV Sport Utility Vehicle. It was a pilot that I did a long time ago. What? Oh, it was really funny. It was a half hour show that took place in a car dealership. And the cast was a mixed cast. Um, mm -hmm. Henry Winkler was in it, actually. And he was hilarious. Oh, love so that funny. Guy. But it wasn't like a a black point of view show, you know. It was it was more about, you know, all these people are stuck together and they're all <laughs> selling cars, that type of thing. So I get I get tons of different ideas from all different directions, um, and sometimes, you know, it's a matter of what actually makes it through that people get to see. But I may have pitched five or six things that are all completely different things that didn't make it through, you know. I'm signing that. So. I, and I asked that question because it seems as if now we have so many different black creators from all different spectrums of life mm -hmm. that the idea of what is black is changing very rapidly, right? Right. Um, and that's a great thing. That's like a good thing. I love that. Uh, yeah. I love that as well. And a lot of people are saying that, you know, we got to get away from stories about drug dealers. We got to get away from stories about slavery. We got to get away from stories uh, that deal in misogyny, that deal in the past, that deal in, uh, you know, triumph, mm -hmm. travails, and, you know, all of that stuff. Is there one black story that you're tired of seeing? Mm. No, I'm not tired of seeing things. Um, plus, we don't have it as bad as some other groups. I mean, if you're Asian, man, for years, all you heard was ding, 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 like yeah. coming through a room you're or right. something. Yeah. You know, the types of stuff. We're just now seeing Asian male leads, Asian male leads. You know, it's huge. You know, the fact that it's taken Latinos so long to have certain types of shows and and in, get out of certain boxes. If you're Italian, you're still in the mob. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. We were just, I mean, Rachel, I, Rachel I just, just started, started Sopranos. the Sopranos. Yeah. <laughs> you're still in the mob. You know? right. Like, good luck getting out of that. Because I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry, Italians, it just works. You know? Right, right. But uh, so for us, because we have a lot of different stories now, I'm not mad at anybody's particular area. If that's all we had, then I'm saying, come on, you know, we could do better than that. But there's, we have so much now that, because here, here's the thing you have to understand this to me, I put my emphasis on the storyteller and the storytelling more than that story, you know, that okay. area, that premise, like, like I have Barry Jenkins on, on my show, um, talked about underground Rome. I've been a fan of Barry's for a long time, met him a few years ago. Brilliant. And, um, but I love what he did with Colson Whitehead's book, you know, and, he was faithful to it, but he had his own vision. And to me, it was like, it really was like an art gallery, just how he was painting pictures with some of the worst images to paint though. Right. These are some of the most horrific images yeah. you could paint, but they were beautiful. So it's this 
beautiful tragedy thing that's going on, you know, and to me, it's art. So I, I would not want to tell him, you know, who am I to tell somebody not to do that? You know, not nah, real. It's real. It's real. I, I read that you, you wrote like when you need inspiration, when you're trying to figure th- like maybe new material or just different right. ideas, the best way for you to get that is through watching people. Uh, through human nature, but in a pandemic and when we were quarantining, you didn't really have any of that. So I'm curious because you never have stopped working. You've got all these ideas right. coming up. Where did you get that inspiration from? Like what inspired you? Well, some of the watching people that you're talking about is being around people, watching people like in a coffee shop or, you know, when I was coming up, you know, riding the bus everywhere, you know, just observing people, just situations you could be a fly on the wall. But you can still see human nature in different situations. Last summer, we had all those, all that stuff going on. You know, the way people acted at Trump rallies, the way people, <laughs> you know, uh, talk about the pandemic. You know, anti-vaxxers. All this kind of behavior that's going on to me is still fodder for writing and inspiration and all that kind of stuff. Plus, the interactions that you have just with your family. You know, just talking to my parents for any amount of time is going to give me at least three. Four good story ideas, two guaranteed solid, three or four, which are pretty good. Right, 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 right. One conversation. (laughs) Okay. Last question from me. You've worked with a lot of funny people. Recently, Damon Wayans called out Dave Chappelle Mm -hmm. to do a versus, a comedy versus. Did you see this? I saw something like that on Twitter. Yeah. Okay. In a comedy versus between Damon Wayans, Damon Wayans, and Dave Chappelle, we're just going joke for joke. Who do you think would win? And secondly, who to you, of all the people that you've worked with, is the absolute? I'm talking about. We're talking about the Wayans is here. We're talking about mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy here. We're talking about Jamie Foxx here. We're Jim talking Carey, about Whoopi Steve Goldberg, Jim, yeah. Steve, Steve Carell, uh, all Sounds of these guys. Um, mm. Who is the funniest person you've ever worked with? First of all, who's going to win that versus? And then who's the funniest person you've ever worked with? I would never bet against Damon Wayans because I think he's got sneaky jokes that you maybe didn't hear in some of those specials and things like that. And I like his ability. I like his competitiveness. A lot of Chappelle's jokes take some time to set up and tell, you know, like he'll, <laughs> he'll go the long route and then come back and go, oh, man, yeah. he came around here. <laughs> right. You know, so like a mano to mano, I would not bet against Damon Wayans. Damon, people forget how funny Damon Wayans is. He's fucking hysterical. One of the funniest moments that I experienced in my life when I worked on a living color and they would do the men on film. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they had to do. They had to have a black scrim while they were setting that up because the audience was going crazy right. and the audience could sense that they were coming and you'd hear feet going in the, oh, and people right. would be oh, like, a, they raise the thing and they go, ah, they start screaming. <laughs> I'm like, well, what is going on here? It's what it must've been like when you're in the audience watching the uh, Beatles right. back in the day. Mm. Right. I mean, really, or Michael Jackson, you know, at those things. That was, I'd never seen that. I had only seen it on The Living Color with those guys. And most of that, I mean, David Allen Greer, funny in that, but Damon Wayans, let's be clear how funny he was as Homie the Clown and in those sketches. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. people don't sleep on Damon, is what I would say. No disrespect to Chappelle. <laughs> right. 
But I would ask Stephen Damon, the funniest person that I ever worked with, it's, I feel it's not even close. Do you, who, who would you guess I'm going to say? Oh, man. And it's, by the way, don't forget, I work with Bernie Mac. Right. So it, it's Bernie. Yeah. So I, look, I, I would so, say, I think you're going to say Eddie Murphy. And I, I would go Eddie too. Although something's holding me back from saying Eddie because Eddie doesn't get his comedy shit off as much anymore. He's a little bit more subdued now. So is this person black or white? <laughs> no, black. because if it's white, it's gonna give away. Right? No, he's working with a lot of white people. So okay. if the person is black, then this person is black, and then I will say, uh, Jim Carrey is a real close second. Right, right. Is mm. it Jamie Foxx? No, Jamie Foxx is very talented though. Yeah. Jamie Foxx is one of the few people he can make his face look like the person when he's doing an impression. Right. This <laughs> nuts. You know, it's crazy how he could do that. Uh, like he did Evander Holyfield once, and you know, he would just do his face, and I'm like. Jane, you you just win. You won. Right, right. Like you don't even have to do the voice. You won already. Right? <laughs> but um, uh, Lindsay, you're absolutely right. Eddie Murphy, hands down, uh, funniest. You spend any time with Eddie, you go, fuck. Eddie Murphy is hilarious. Right. And once again, we sleep on Eddie because you know, people, but people forget. You look back at the '80s sure. and, and when he was at his funniest. And I got to work with him in the '90s when. People weren't watching him as funny, although I would argue that Nutty Professor is as funny as those other things that he did. He was really funny in that stuff. Um, but when he did our table read, oh man. And I'll tell you this story. Um, I don't know if I should tell it, but- Yes, that means you should. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's a, it doesn't make any look in a bad way. But uh, so it's the table read for, for the PJs, right? Uh-huh. This first show that I've created, co-created my friend, Steve Town. I'm very excited about working with Ron Howard, Brian Grazer of Imagine. Doesn't get bigger than that, right? Eddie Murphy, executive producer. Eddie's the star of my show on television. That's amazing, yeah. yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I'm coming out of the box with this. Right. I'm like, this is crazy, right? So it's, it's very surreal. And it's stop motion animation. We know, once again, this is my thing, put something on TV that isn't there. So I'm coming out of the box like this, right? I'm very excited about it. All my dreams, all that stuff. So we're at the table read, everybody's there. And Eddie's not there. You know, we thought he was there, but he wasn't. Apparently he went into the bathroom or something and he wasn't coming out. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? You know? Right. <laughs> and I dawned on me for, I don't know if this is true, but I was thinking, you know what? Eddie hasn't done television since Saturday Night Live. Oh. You know, at that point, it was like 18 years. Or something. Uh-huh. It was a long time. Like he hadn't performed in front of people. He hadn't done stand-up in about 10 or 12 years, you know, this is a table read, you know, there's an audience there. When you're doing movies, you're just making the crew laugh. They're going to laugh at everything. Right. Right. Once again, Mm -hmm. nothing is. And I thought, I wonder if he has jitters or something, you know? Uh And I think, and it was like a real uncomfortable long time. It was one of those things where I thought, you know, all this, (laughs) it's just going to go away, you know, and I was ready to, to do it at the table, but you know, I would be doing an impression of it. It's not the same thing. And I can do, like I did impressions. I, I could do all the voices in the cast and all that. And I would do that at table reads and that kind of stuff, you know? So it was all said to do it if he, if he wasn't going to make it, because we weren't sure he was going to make it anyway. So we were so happy that he made it. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. You know, it's just not going to be the same. And then at the last minute, at the last minute, he comes out. It's real quiet. I'm not saying anything. I'm just, I'm just kind of like this. And I'm like, is he going to like give any energy to this? Is he going to be quiet? Is he, I mean, because you don't know, you know, he might just be reading like this. Cause, and I've seen this before. 
where and then this person goes, yeah and then uh, right Right, right, right. And destroying all of your shit. Right. Like, all of your shit just goes down. Right. And they're like, I think we need to rewrite that. No, that motherfucker needs to say it. <laughs> right, right, right. Perform. Right. But it was the opposite. First line, bam. It was the Eddie that you remember. He just came out of the box. I don't know why he stayed in there that long. I was going to ask, why was it the bathroom so long? I don't know. Like I said, I made up my own reasons. Maybe he was nervous or something. I never found out. I didn't want to ask. But he came out. <laughs> he was so Maybe funny. You guys. And this is why I say Eddie is the funniest. I was never more impressed because I've been with all these people we've named. I've been with them at table reads, you know, performances, run throughs. I was there when we. I was there when we uh, found Jamie Foxx in the comedy club. I was in the audience that night when we wow. hired wow. him to be on Unliving Color before anybody knew who Jamie was. And he did Wanda on stage back then and all that stuff. So I've seen these people in every situation. Steve Carell, by the way, is up there too. It's just really funny. I think he's hysterical, yeah. Steve Carell, oh my God, is so funny. And you would never know it. He'd be sitting right next to you, Van. You wouldn't even know he was in showbiz. And then he'd get up and you could not stop could not stop laughing right. is the kind of funny Steve Carell is. But, uh, but Eddie, when he started and he's doing that voice and it's the voice, you know, and all that stuff. And it's all, and his energy is so good. And he's a great actor too. It was just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, uh, let me, let me, you, you want to follow up? No, 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 no follow okay. up. Yeah. I, I, I want to do, we like to do top fives and I want to do a top five because you have been a part of the shows that we grew up on. We watched I want to know for you, not the top five shows you've worked on, just period. Top five black sitcoms ever. Ooh, black sitcoms. Gotta be black. You know what number one is. You just can't say it. <laughs> no, yes you can. Yes you can because we talked about one. this before. You wouldn't put that number one? Ooh, see, this is why we got to hear his list. This is why we got to hear it. Does it. Is it top five? Is it it's at least top five? It's gotta be. I, you wouldn't put that number one. Let's start with number five. Let's see. Okay, let's start let's with. I would go number one, or can I? Should I start with number one? Um, well, I have. I have to have shows that have to be in there first, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Shows that have to be in there. Um, as controversial as it is, Good Times has to be in the top five. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah, Times sure. was on TV when nothing else was like it. Um, oh, honorable mention that is not in the top five, but honorable mention. Amos and Andy. Interesting. Okay. Amos and Andy in the 50s had all black people you can imagine. There were professional black people, there were blue collar, white collar, all this stuff. It got pulled off the air because the leads were kind of doing that portrayal that people weren't comfortable with. But Amos and Andy, hands down, was a groundbreaking show. Right. Um, all right. So good times definitely in there. Uh, I'll go old school first. And the Jeffersons, those are the two that have to be in there. Okay. Right. Because there's very few TV people funnier than Sherman Hemsley. Right. Mm -hmm. Now it gets tough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll just say the Cosby Show. Got to put the Cosby Show in there. Got to right? put the Cosby Show in there. It has to be in there. That's three, right? I'm yeah. gonna put. Okay. Hmm. Mm. It's hard. Um. A little love for a little a little love for the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, maybe. Are we talking the best or the most loved? The best. Best, best in your opinion. 
Yeah, I'll put Fresh Prince up there. Okay. Fresh Prince did a lot, and it's so it's so remembered well too. Mm-hmm. And I think that means a lot for people how it's remembered and everything. Um, those are four, right? There's one That's more. Four. Yeah. See, it's. I think many people now might pick Blackish because mm. you know contemporary. You know, it's a contemporary show, but I don't know. There may be some. I want to make sure I'm not sleeping in something. So I'm thinking, obviously, a different world is great, but it's not going to be up there. My yeah. wife and kids is great. It's not going to be up there. Even I was actually really thinking Flip show. Wilson, but I don't think that's a sick, considered a sitcom. Yeah, it's a variety show. It's a variety yeah. show. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else from the 70s that were, I mean, you're not going to put what's happening in there. You're not going to we'll put, put what's happening, but really funny. Julia was groundbreaking, but you wouldn't Julia put Julia, yeah, yeah. you wouldn't put, like, give me a break in there. No. Uh, no. It, I love give me a break. Um, <laughs> we're Family not talking Matters, about love. Family Matters was really funny. Family Matters was really you know, funny. Breakout but, character. But Loved, I, but not the I, best. Family Matters was really funny, but I will put Family Matters. But Pat, I put it under the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. If yeah. we were doing these right, my own show, the Bernie Mac show, Bernie Mac show is pretty, 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 pretty yeah. good too. So, what are the five? Then the five were the Jeffersons. Oh, we, oh, 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 we missed one. What, we missed one. No, we missed Sanford and Son. Oh, Sanford and oh, Son. Oh yeah, hilarious. <laughs> Unfortunately. Sanford and Son, people don't remember it as much. You know, like Good Times has to be above Sanford and Son. But for me, Sanford and Son, if you're saying which are the funniest, Sanford and Son's in the top three. Right. In terms of laughs. I don't know if it's top, I don't know if Sanford and Son's top five in terms of classic shows. Really? You would you would you take top five? Would you take Sanford and Son over the Fresh Prince of Bel Air? No. No. So okay, so we're we're getting to we're, we're working. I wouldn't take it over Blackish. I wouldn't take it over Good Times. Wouldn't take it over Jeffersons. Wouldn't take it over Cosby. So so then uh, so Sanfordson is out. So then the top five is Good Times, The Jeffersons, Blackish, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and The Cosby Show. Now I Correct. need you. I now I need the one through five. Now I have to put them in order. Yeah, I would say Good Times, Cosby Show. Um, Fresh Prince, Blackish Jeffersons. Mm, I'm with that. Okay. Can't All be right. mad at that. Can't be can't, can't good I, list, Larry. Can't not be mad at that. And who's who who better to make the list? Good times kept it a hundred guys when no that was not on television. I give good times a lot of credit. It got criticized for things, but I'm like, people, I mean, this is the life, you know, it's right. the 70s. Yeah. Like, what do you want? Seriously, you know? Yeah. No. And no. remember, it started off with an intact family, good times. You know, they lost John Amos in it, but that was an intact working class family when that show started out. You know, Roseanne did it a decade later, but good times did it first. Yeah, it's true. Larry, just a wealth of knowledge. You can catch Larry on his Ringer podcast, Black on the Air. And really, looking at all of this shit, you can catch Larry. <laughs> Wherever, Everywhere. if you watch, if you watch, he's got a movie he's working on. Is it a movie? I actually just did a movie. I'll okay. Give it yeah. Um, because sometimes I get out and act. I was in a movie called The Laundromat that uh Steve Soderbergh directed. Yeah. Um, I, I just uh, I'm filming something right now with Brian Cranston and Ned Benning. Oh I'm wow. The lead in it. Man, man. Oh okay. But I get to sneak out, you know, <laughs> do things and stuff like that. So it's. It's fun having a career where I can pull different levers, you know, that. And by the way, in terms of advice for younger people, and Van, I may have talked to you about this, uh, is it's okay to do different things. You don't have to do one thing. It's okay to have different lanes. 
Like a lot of times when you're younger, people discourage you from that. I encourage you to have different lanes, you know? I like that. Van asked you for 20,000. I would just ask you for a job. That's what yeah. I would ask Are you, you for. Are you kidding me? Any are you, Rachel, anytime. That's it. <laughs> yeah. we'll, do, we'll do a show together. Yeah. I, you heard it here. Heard it here first. <laughs> By the way, I had never seen, this is this is horrible. I had never seen The Bachelor, Bachelor or anything. I started watching during your season. I'm like, oh, oh no. my God, this thing is this thing is so addictive. That's <laughs> it, I'm watching I never it. watched it before I went on it either, Larry. <laughs> but also, but, and I haven't watched it since. Thank you. <laughs> I saw three episodes <laughs> when that brother was on. Oh, uh, when I, that I cursed out? The one that I cursed out? <laughs> Last year. Oh, no, she's talking, oh, talking about Matt. One. Oh, Matt James. He's talking about Matt James. The way he gets roasted again. Yes. Oh. And I was doing this. I was doing this. Nah, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, you, Larry, you know they won't let us have him on the show? Why? Yeah, they, we've been. He's been banned from coming on the show. It's because ever since I said I wasn't doing anything with the show, it's like, oh no, you can't have you can't have him on there now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. I love what you guys do. Thanks for Thank having you. me, Rachel. You have to come on my pod sometime. I'm there. And I'm we'll there. Talk and talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. Keep up the good week. All right, Larry Wilmore. Thanks, thanks for Larry. joining us today on High Learning, bro. Always a pleasure. Oh, it's to talk my to pleasure. You. Thanks for having me, you guys. I really appreciate it. So good. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Okay, the FDA has granted full approval to Pfizer Biotech COVID-19 vaccine. Opening the door for more vaccine mandates because now that it's FDA approved, they can do a little bit more with the mandatey dating. Um, and the consequences <laughs> of not being vaccinated uh, are still hitting people all over the place. Conservative radio host, vaccine skeptic, who said he wouldn't get the vac vaccinated because he had a low risk of getting COVID-19 and dying from it. He's passed away. He died of the virus, uh, his employer said. His name was Phil Valentine. He died at age 61. He was the uh, disc jockey on a radio station in Nashville called Super Talk 99.7 WTN. Um, he was first hospitalized in late July with the virus. Mm -hmm. uh, a statement from his family said, said that at the time of his hospitalization, 
His illness led him to have his sec- second thoughts and regrets about the vaccine, vaccine significance, and encouraged people to go get vaccinated. He had made a song where he parodied the Beatles' "Tax Man" and was calling it "Vax Man." It was a parody song. About oh wow! Not getting vaccinated. Yeah, he was pretty much he standing was passionate in the about it. About it. Um, you hear a story like this, and a what do you think? It's it's heartbreaking for two reasons, right? One, because somebody lost their life. And and that's, you know, it doesn't matter what you think politically or anything. Somebody died because of this virus when it's something that could be prevented with a vaccine. And then it's sad on the other end because this is a man who had a platform, who has a microphone, who has a show. And he's out here preaching this information that is false, that's problematic, that is causing other people to die because they're not getting vaccinated and they're putting their se- themselves in harm's way. And we he- we're hearing all these stories about doctors being frustrated and people in Mississippi taking ivermectin that's for livestock and all this bad information, misinformation that's floating out here when it could be prevented. And then to hear that in his last days, he was regretful and saying that he wished he would have been vaccinated. It's like, how many people could he have helped if he wasn't so against something that health, uh, let me say this again, if he wasn't against something that is being politicized, you know, if he wasn't fighting against something for just because to hold on to whatever your politics are, rather than listening to people who are actually well-versed and experts in the field of health. So it's, it's, it's really sad. And I know his story isn't a one-off. There are many stories like it. And I just hope that people are out here getting the information for themselves and not listening to people who are uneducated and not well-versed in the topic. Uh, yeah. So Donald Trump has actually changed his tune. What you're starting to see, um, as far as, as far as the radio disc jockey, the guy died, I think, uh, when I, and, and I take no, I'm just, I'm not in a position to be happy that somebody passed away. And I see a lot of people sure. on, Insta- on Instagram and Twitter, like, Hey, play stupid games, get super prizes. I think about him gasping for air there in his last breaths, Absolutely. wishing that he had taken a vaccine that could have prevented his death. But I hope that people are smart enough to to understand uh, that there are actually stakes for the decisions that you're making, and those stakes could be final. So it's a big deal. Trump has changed his tune on the vaccine a little bit. Uh, former President Donald Trump, you remember, he did not take a picture with him getting injected with the vaccine. He refused to actually come out and tell everybody to go out and get the vaccine and yeah. uh, and really stump forward hard. And I think you, what, what he's seeing now is, and what the right is seeing, is a lot of the states that are being hardest hit, um, Louisiana, Alabama, Florida, um, parts of Georgia are all places where vaccine hesitancy is, is pretty high, Mississippi. Um, and because of that, the right is finally starting to come around to the idea of maybe advocating for the vaccine. And I think that there are political reasons behind this. President Trump was down in Alabama doing a rally and he told the crowd there to go get vaccinated. And this was the response. Play the clip. And you know what? I believe totally in your freedoms. I do. You got to do what you have to do. But I recommend take the vaccines. I did it. It's good. Take the vaccines. But you got, no, that's okay. That's all right. You got your freedoms, but I happen to take the vaccine. If it doesn't work, you'll be the first to know, okay? I'll call up Alabama and say, hey, you know what? But it is working. 
But uh, you do have your freedoms. You have to keep, you have to maintain that. You have to maintain that. And you got to get your kids back to school. Right. There you go. So now what we're seeing is Ron DeSantis. That's a break from Ron DeSantis that Trump is is uh, is exhibiting there. Ron DeSantis is down there standing very, very strong in the grave sites of Floridians um, and pushing back against mandates, not recommending the vaccine. And we're seeing it really cost in places where we're from and all over yeah. the place. So much so to Trump to to the fact that the people won't even believe their God, President Trump. You heard the booze there when he brought up the vaccine. Uh, that was a home game for him, and he got booed. It's like That's Kobe crazy. getting booed in the Staples Center for missing a free throw. So I if don't Trump, know. If Trump didn't convince them, these people are never going to get it, right? Like, they're completely lost. They're too far gone. It's like they were doing everything he was telling them to do, and now he's telling them to get the vaccine, and they're still... And it's like you curated the, these these people you you're like you're part of the reason that these people are so against getting this vaccine and now that you're saying you get it they still don't want to do it these people can't be saved they're too far gone they're too well, far gotta gone. try gotta try because these people are us no i, I listen i agree with you it's just like i i'm the fact that it was shocking to me that they booed Trump. Not that Trump said, get the vaccine. It was shocking to me that they booed him over saying this, which lets me know how against they are the vaccine. And it's 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 tough. These are people who I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that something can change their minds. But if the very person who got them believing that the vaccine was wrong can't change their mind when he's had a change of heart. Yeah. So I don't know if it's fair to say that Trump got them believing that the vaccine was wrong. Because he, um, because, because, no, I, I don't think that's fair. And there, and I'm being honest here because remember, okay. Trump's, Trump's White House was behind Operation Warp Speed and trying to get the vaccine out there. I think that he was his tepid. vaccine. I, well, no, the vaccine's period. Okay, but then why do you have people that are, you know, pro Trump who are calling it? saying Trump's vaccine, Trump's vaccine. They differentiated it, right? Like he made it seem like it was a problem when he didn't win, become the president. And it was Biden who took over. It made, so, he, he, he separated it is what is, I guess how I felt. And maybe I'm wrong on that. So what really happened here is that the evangelicals and the religious right somehow got into their mind that the vaccine was evil. And so Trump being a populist, mm -hmm. he actually thinks from the bottom up Trump is not mm -hmm. a leader. The people lead him. So the vaccine hesitancy that was existing would have needed the president to combat it. And he didn't combat it aggressively enough because it would have been unpopular with his base. As far as the vaccine, sure. Trump was trying to get the vaccine rolled out more than anyone because he thought that the vaccine was going to be the ticket to another four years for him. Do you think that if he had successfully, if 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 he had won and then the vaccine, because the vaccine would have come about regardless, if he had won, do you think these people would have taken the vaccine? No. Um, See, I, I think I, they would have. I no, think they would have. No, I, I don't, because I, I think that the main thing that Trump was doing, Trump, my problem with Trump and a lot of people on the right is that my problem with the Tucker Carlson's and the Donald Trump's and the uh, Candace Owens's and all of these people is that they're vaccinated. Correct. They're, they're vaccinated. We know that they're vaccinated. And the fact that they're vaccinated and then they still won't talk about 
why they got vaccinated, why other people should get vaccinated, um, why the vaccine makes sense. It's because they're catering to and kowtowing to the lowest com- the lowest common denominator in their respective basis. And they're letting those people and the cult of whatever they are control them. So really, Trump's failure of leadership is not about the fact that he wasn't for the vaccine. His White House clearly was for the vaccine. It was about the fact that he wasn't willing to push back against his base and lean into him being vaccinated in order to dispel myths and rumors about the vaccine that allow vaccine hesitancy to continue. Okay, I think that became Trump. But you have to go back to when when we first learned about COVID. Trump, when I say Trump curated this, he told them that this was a virus that wasn't real. Oh, for he sure, told yeah. them that this wasn't a real thing. So why would you get a vaccine against something that's not real, against something that's just like the flu? These people are saying the same things that Trump was saying. And so and he for for a very long time started to say that it wasn't he didn't start preaching vaccine until it came towards the election because he wanted to be elected, like you said. So the reason I say that he the reason I say that he curated these the, these people is because he preached for so long that this wasn't a real threat. It wasn't real. And if you really buy into that ideology, that ideology, then why would you want a vaccine for something that's not really out here? That's so, why I say that. So I think that where I agree with you, I think we're disagreeing at the margins. I think where I agree with you is that Trump laid the sort of uh, foundation for skepticism against science. Mm-hmm. Don't believe mm-hmm. uh, what you're seeing on the news. It's all fake. None of it's real. Mm-hmm. And that kind of mutated into sure. uh, people's belief that the vaccine couldn't possibly be helpful. In terms of that, though, you know, it uh, Operation Warp Speed and what they were trying to do, they were trying to do it for political reasons, but the saving grace of his whole thing was going to be the fact I got America vaccinated. Sure. All right. I agree. Operation Warp Speed was first rolled out in April on April 29th, 2020. So the White House took the step. His White House took the step. And by the way, it's rare that you're going to ever hear me credit the Trump administration. But and it wasn't for any reasons that are egalitarian or pure or whatever. It was for strictly political reasons. But they tried to fast track getting the vaccines out. They for they, political reasons, yes, yeah, yes, for, they did. For, for political but reasons. But that wasn't what Trump was really preaching because you have to go back. Remember, he was applauding governors who were opening up their states, and right. he was trying to do rallies that summer. And so it was like, it may, yeah, they were trying to get a vaccine. But when you think about Trump in 2020 in that time, it wasn't him preaching about the vaccine. It yeah. was more so well, inject this into your system, into your skin and rub this onto yourself and it's not real and well, it'll disappear and a- and East by Easter. And stuff. Right. All the bad science hit it with light. But what I'm saying is he didn't preach the vaccine, which he should have preached the vaccine. But what I'm telling you is that he was never anti-vaccine. He was, and so that that's that's something. He was never anti-vaccine. He never like he just never said anything. Like Tucker Carlson is like anti-vaccine, asking questions. How do we know this about the vaccine? How do we know about that the vaccine? Well, Tucker, why don't you fucking tell us you took it? So, um, yeah. All right. So Beyonce and Jay Z are doing their thing. Beyonce <laughs> just became the first black woman to wear the iconic Tiffany diamond. All right, I want you guys to hear. It's this. a beautiful campaign. It's very important. The powerhouse couple is the new face of a Tiffany and Company ad campaign celebrating modern love. All right, the jeweler announced today. 
Beyonce shared some of these pictures on her Instagram. She's wearing a large yellow diamond necklace in the photos. That's the iconic 128 karat Tiffany diamond, which the company acquired in 1878. It's beautiful. And it rarely puts it on display. Audrey Hepburn wore it. Uh, publicity photos for it. Reference to Tiffany's Lady Gaga wore it to the 2019 Academy Awards. The Tiffany Diamond, Lady Gaga wore it. Beyonce is the first black woman to wear this diamond that no doubt came from Africa. <laughs> In the year 2021, they gave it to Audrey Hepburn. They gave it to uh, Gaga. Lady Gaga. She's only the fourth woman to wear it more than a century. It's not only the only milestone, some photos show that the couple posed in front of a large turquoise painting. John Michael Basquiat's painting, the 1982 work, came from a private collection. It's never been seen before, according to Tiffany. All right. Um, also, as part of this, just to let everybody know all the information, Jay-Z and Beyonce got Tiffany to donate $2 million to uh, HBCUs. Two million dollars to HBCUs. They are now doing, I guess, a campaign with Tiffany. I saw this, and I was immediately annoyed. I don't know why. I was annoyed. You having? A, are you having a bad day? I don't understand why this was annoying to you. But please explain. First of all, I want your take on it before I go in. No, no, no. I'm not. I, I. Please go ahead. No, you're annoyed. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I think. Okay, so let me tell you why. Number one, Tiffany is now part of LVMH, is it not? What's LVMH? Uh, Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy. Let me make sure this is true. Tiffany and company, I'm pretty sure Tiffany and company is now a part of LVMH. Let me look this up. Yes, parent company LVMH. Okay, and that is what? Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy. Oh, okay. So- Louis Vuitton, Moet, wow. Hennessy, like Rihanna's under LVMH. You know, obviously Louis Vuitton is under LVMH. Moet is under LVMH. Hennessy is under LVMH. Okay. okay. So LVMH, holding company. All right. It has a, the, the key people at LVMH, the, the key guy is Bernard Arnault. All right. Bar, Bernard Arnault, how much money do you think he's worth? Billions. How, how many billions? Is this what Rihanna's fragrance is under as well? Fenty is under that too. How many okay. billions do you think Bernard Arnault is worth? Guess. 50. Okay. Bernard Arnault is the richest man in the world. Okay. So like or the third, Or the third or the third richest <laughs> right now. It goes back and forth. Bernard Arnault is worth $174 billion. Okay. Wow. All right. So $174 billion. LVMH. LVMH is a brand that I know of because my uncle gave me some Hennessy. When I was a kid, my mm-hmm. mama and them actually used to put a little Hennessy in the bottle to mm-hmm. calm me okay. down. For the teething. Okay. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Louis V I know because of the rappers. The Moet I know because of puffing them. Okay. So all of those brands to me are steeped and rooted in, bl- in blackness. I have no problem with Bernard Arnault. I have no issue with him. Get your money, Bernard Arnault, even though you're a billionaire and I don't think you need to have that much money. It's whatever. He has $174 billion. Bernard Arnault doesn't need any help from Jay-Z and Beyonce. LVMH doesn't need any help from Jay-Z and Beyonce. Not to mention the political reasons while putting a diamond on that was that was mined in 1878 
probably on stolen land from a bunch of people that looked like you and me, a huge blood diamond that Tiffany's had over and, and hoarded over this entire time, that wealth that hasn't benefited the people where that, that diamond came from in any way, all right, for that entire time. The bottom line is, if black people are going to have their own luxury brands, if black people are going to have their own luxury goods, if one day one of us is going to get to be a crusty old $174 million billion person, right, then what we have to do is we have to stop people. We have to stop having people who have it all, right, going to still work with prestigious luxury white owned brands that have never given a fuck about us and elevate black luxury brands and i'm not saying that beyonce and jay-z don't do that exactly but what i am saying is there's no reason for them to do this there's no okay. reason for, there's just no reason for them to click up with tiffany right now when you say all black everything and that by the way that all black everything thing that comes from jay-z all black everything like this is another th situation that's weird the nfl move that's weird to me why okay. go in business with the NFL? Why go in business with Tiffany and the Blood Diamonds? Why do the whole deal? Why why act like it's a stat that it's 2021 and she the first black woman to ever put the diamond on? That will what that would make me not want to put that bitch on. Like the, it, it, 2021 and she's the first black woman to ever put the diamond on? That would make me not want to put the diamond on. Okay. So this is what I'm confused by. Are you saying that you can't be a first in anything? I'm saying that there's certain firsts that you shouldn't want. Okay. So here's the thing. That's something that they put on. I don't think Beyonce and Jay-Z, and it's really to Beyonce because she's the one wearing it. I don't think she's toting around the fact that she was the first to do this. I guess I don't, I'm not looking at it. Blood Diamond aside, because that's a very, very good point. I don't understand why people are harping on Beyonce for being a part of this campaign as if she's not making money off of it. And here's the thing too, not only is she getting paid to be a part of this campaign, Beyonce and Jay-Z are well known and documented in, in giving back and putting into the community. That There's certain things that we know and I'm sure there's a whole lot that we don't know. So I have no problem with Beyonce being a black face for this company them paying her to do it and then her to take her money is because she uses her money and her wealth to put, put it back in the community. What is the problem with that? I think that we're being a little bit too nitpicky when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. So what she, like, your blood diamond thing, I'm not even going to touch that because I get that. Well, I, I mean, get what you, you're saying. Uh, well, well, I mean, you, you're, you're, divorcing the, you're divorcing it away from I a am. tremendous amount of, of, of the argument's this power. Because this was my argument before, right? So, like, I get what you're saying about the blood diamond. I'm, I'm, I'm just taking that off the table. You're right. Like, why would you want to wear that diamond around you? Totally understand that. But the point you're making, I didn't see a lot of that on Twitter. And so my thing is, is why are people so upset that she's taking somebody else's money and they put money back in the community? It, Beyonce and Jay-Z aren't people who, who are hoarding the, their wealth all for themselves. They constantly are giving back. And so I guess I just didn't see what the big deal was. It I thought that they that she looked beautiful in the campaign. I think it's great that she's getting this opportunity and she's a person it. 
Jay-Z says all black everything. Maybe Beyonce says the same thing, but maybe she's not all black everything. But a lot of what she does is about celebrating blackness and and teaching the next generation to love on themselves. And, and she's constantly giving back. So I have no issues with it whatsoever. I guess yeah. I just really didn't think it was that big of a deal. Now, when you bring the blood diamond part into it, totally understand. Tiffany I take everything no, back. I take Tiffany, everything back. <laughs> Tiffany don't need no black faces. Okay. Tiffany, and that's Tiffany fine. been in, T Tiffany been doing that thing for a long time. Tiffany and don't some need no people black. believe in like. And by the way, we don't need no more black faces. We need black companies. Like the reality is that like like taking all of our best creatives, like the fact that Virgil, but they do have they do but, do the but, stuff with blacks. Like like the the fact that the taking the fact that Virgil went over to work under Louis V after starting off white, it's like I understand that Virgil. I have no problem with Virgil's not a billionaire. First of all, this is all just my personal opinion. They move yeah. however they, they move however they want to move. But to be honest with you, I don't. I'm off that period. Like seriously, like I'm off that. I'm off hey. Tiffany. Hold, hold, I'm off Tiffany. I'm off fucking Louis V. I'm off Gucci. I'm off Dolce and Gabbana. I'm off Hugh. I used to wear Hugo Boss. I'm off Hugo Boss. I'm off all of that. Tiffany, Dolce and Gabbana. Louis V, Hugo Boss, all of these people, they had their time. They've been going around for 100 years doing the same shit, making money off us. Black companies come and fucking go during the time that we support shit from 100-year-old companies from white people. This shit started back in the 1800s. We make it hot, keep it going, get buried in it, and then another generation and shit just keeps going. I don't know why we, we want to do this. Uh, the fucking shit is weird it's plenty of black luxury brands that are out there right now that need that luxury created for them not just black BIPOC period if we ever gonna grab a grab a chunk of that I just to me personally Beyonce and Jay-Z do a lot for the community they do whatever it just annoys me when I see us still essentially becoming mascots for a for for a company like Tiffany, if they're getting paid off of it and then putting it back into the community, I have no, I I don't have an issue with it. But let me ask you this: Fenty is under that company. Do right. you have a problem with that? Because she's not a hundred percent owning it. He owns half that. Yeah. So no, I don't so have a problem with it. And the, the reason why I don't have a problem with it is because it's her brand. It's she her has, brand that he but, owns 50% of. And but, I'm not against it, but, but I'm just but, but, but I'm, I'm wait, questioning but, off but, of what you're saying. He owns 50% of it. So she's a billionaire. He be, he he's getting that money as well. I know, but like I don't I'm, He's getting richer too off of her it's her name and face. Remember, remember. What I'm saying is in this particular situation, that's a Fenty is going to be a luxury brand that is established by a black woman. That makes a white man richer as well. Yeah, there's very few things in life you can do that don't make a white man richer as well. But like there's but, but So it's being, not all black everything. No, but well no. Well in, in that case, then nothing is all black everything because what you're talking about and this is another thing that we're talking about. I'm not saying you have to own your black situation one hundred percent. Okay, that was my question. There's there's partnerships that you have to have that you have to do, but what I'm talking about is to me. Going and being the face of a white-owned brand doesn't do anything for black people. Not to it not does to if them. you it does if you get paid off of it and then you take that money and put it back into the community. Y'all always talking about taking some money and putting it back into the community. Like, we, we, don't don't we understand that that shit is not working? Don't, like, dude, don't we understand that like 
we're taking that money and putting it back into the community. We've been talking this, taking that money and putting it back in the community shit for like a generation. And we're not able to put enough money into the community for the community ever to make strides forward. It seems as if what needs to happen is a realignment of what it is we think success is. Now, look, right now, if you, if you, if you, if Rachel invents Rachel Pop, Rachel Pop Soda. Oh, it's Rachel Pop. We're drinking it up. It's Rachel Pop. Come get you a cup. It's Rachel Pop. That's your song. I gave you that for free. So go invent the soda. If you invent Rachel Pop and you get to where you want, you can't get Rachel Pop to scale. Coke comes in and say they want to help you get Rachel Pop to scale. You're, you're going to maintain creative control of Rachel Pop and 51% of Rachel Pop, even if it's 49% of Rachel Pop, and be able to pick the Rachel Pop board members. I have no problem with you doing what you're doing. Rachel Pop is a black owned soda thing that is out there with a black woman who got it. Boom. And that money is that money is economically flowing back into the community. That's different than them hiring you. It's economically going back on, into the community because I'm black. It's, no, it's economically going back in the community because you are a black woman and you're setting up generational wealth for your kids. Well, I guess they'll be black for your yeah. kids, for like for your kids and everybody else. Right. And for, so, my fi- for my family. Yeah, that's the, not necessary. But how do you know I'm using my money for the community? You see what I'm saying? Just because I'm black and I'm and your family I, and I, is the community. Your I kids, just, your like your family is the community. Like you're, okay, you're, but 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 I I get what you're saying. I'm black owned and I'm setting generational wealth. But if I'm also the face of a of a of Coke, I'm also making money. That's giving that allows me to invest in other things. That's going to provide generational wealth for my family as well. Maybe maybe not. Maybe you're doing it. Maybe you're good with it for a little while. Coke fires you. Maybe, maybe, but, but, but my point is this with, with Jay-Z and Beyonce, it's a different situation because what Jay-Z and Beyonce have the opportunity to do, and this is Van Lathan broke nigga giving billionaires advice. So please take it with a grain of salt. What Jay-Z and Beyonce could do is use their faces to create that generational wealth for a brand other than Tiffany. See what I'm saying? I'm not talking about them making money. Obviously, they're getting paid. They don't need any more financial help. But what they could do is with somebody else who's there's look them up. There are luxury black designers, black jewelers who Jay-Z, Beyonce, some of them do support everywhere. But to be the face of one of their campaigns, to be the face of one of their lines, to be the face of that would mean more. And maybe we would be able to establish like something going forward. Everything that comes out, we on it. Michael Mary dreams. Michael Mary, a white dude. Michael Mary stuff. Everybody doing it. Everybody. I'm going to the Oscars one day. There's no, no diss to Trayvon and Martin. They went to the Oscars. They wore Dolce and Gabbana. No problem. I'm going to the Oscars one day. I'm going to get my chance to go. And some niggas going to dress me. That's great. It's going to be Pyre Moss or somebody like that. Some niggas are going to dress me. I'm going to wear black threads there. I feel strongly about this. That $100 billion that we're talking about, that that he has, that Bernard mm-hmm. Arnault has, rich people all over the world buy all of that stuff. It's not just black people. But we helped in that. We give these people free commercials. Sure. We do this stuff all the time. Both. But I understand, I understand what you're saying about wanting to do all black everything and support black owned businesses and designers and all of that and to lift us up and put us on the map. I think you can do both, but I understand your point of view as well. I just don't agree with it. 
But it is what it is. Good for her. Like, look, it good for Jay Z and Beyonce. It's another bag. They are the bag couple, endless bags. They do a lot of great things. I happen to know personally. They fund people. They get people out of jail. They bail them out. They do all kinds of great things. What I'm saying is, I was mildly annoyed, and not just mildly. I tweeted a while ago. People called me performative. I tweeted a while ago. I said I will never wear another white designer ever again. Yes, you've, you've, yeah, you've. We've talked about that on the podcast. I said I will never wear another, never wear another white. Even this NASA shirt that I'm wearing, this NASA shirt is black. This doesn't stand for NASA. Okay. Okay. All right. This stands for y'all. Watch fan now. This stands for niggas (laughs) are. Sailing again. You can't wear Jordans. You can't wear anything. Nothing. What y'all watch his feet? All that. All that. Yeah. Y'all watch him now. Yeah. Telling you guys. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Obviously, I'm gonna wear some Nike shit. See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? But because because look, it's just not a lot of people making shoes. All black everything. Not a lot of people making. Y'all watch his feet. Y'all watch him now. But what I'm telling you is, when it's time to show out, I'm gonna buy you some stuff for your birthday. When it's time, when it's time to show out. And be a billboard for somebody and be put on display, award shows, stuff like that, there's gonna be some niggas. Even if the shit is a Gordon Gartrell. Um, uh, <laughs> even if it's a Gordon Gartrell, it's gonna be some niggas. <laughs> Please, Thought Warriors, if y'all don't know who Gordon Gartrell is, please look that up. Please. Even if it's a Gordon Gartrell. <laughs> no hate on Jay Z Beyonce. I love Jay Z Beyonce. Mm-hmm. I, I love them both. Never coming on this show. I love them both. I love them both, man. It's just like sitting up there with these. Who give a fuck Tiffany? She like, looks beautiful. Who give a fuck about Tiffany. Um. Oh, oh, Rach. What? I gotta, I gotta ask you a question. My very, my very serious question. Okay. Is about something that's sweeping the internet right now. We gotta go, but this is my very serious question of the week. I'm sure you've seen the milk crate challenge. I have. My question to you, and to everyone, is the milk crate challenge the best? of black culture oh. or is the milk crate challenge the worst of black culture you guys if you guys don't know for some reason they stacking up milk crates all over the motherfucking i haven't seen a milk crate in years they're stacking up milk crates all over the world and they're in a pyramid shape and you're supposed to walk over the milk crates without falling when these people fall these milk crates are flimsy they bust their fucking asses and if you walk to the end sometimes you get bread now at first this looked like this was something they were having addicted people do or whatever but now everyone's doing i saw a girl do it in her heels i saw a guy do it white mike shout out white mike somewhere did it while he's rolling a blunt is the milk crate challenge as far as black culture is concerned is it the best of us we're finding ways to have fun we're coming up with new ingenious things we're doing all of this, or is it the worst of us? Once again, we're putting our safety at risk for some low vibrational nigga shit. Which one is it? The best of us or the worst? Can of I us? please get it in between? It's neither. 
No, you can't it's, have no in between. I, you keep wanting to do in between. I know because you're not giving me. It's it's such a tough option. Is it the best of us? Hell no, it's not the best of us, right? We've so been better before. We've had better challenges before. I don't know what they are. Give me a second. I'll think of it. I'd rather take the plank challenge than this. Was that us? Did we start the plank challenge? I don't, I don't know. But the plank the, the plank challenge wasn't no challenge. That was a fucked up dance. You have, you flank you plank on something. It was a challenge. It was a thing. Yeah. Um, I. I'm like you. First of all, I kept saying, "What? Uh, what is a milk crate? Where where are people getting these milk crates from?" Did you I, say, I would, "What is a milk crate?" I had to think about that when, it, uh, honestly, Jesus when I heard about it at Christ, first, you had a nice I, life. When I heard about it at first, I thought they were cinder blocks. I was like, "Wait, what?" I was like, "What are they doing?" And then I looked at it. and I'm like, "Where do you? Where are these? Where do you find these from? Where is everybody getting all these milk crates from?" That was my first thought. Then I'm watching. I'm like, "Okay. I mean, I guess I." Is it the worst of us? I'm not amused. Okay, so maybe it's the worst. I'm not amused. I saw one person do it. I saw one person make it. I saw one person fall. I don't get it. I don't really get into m most of these challenges. I I get tired of them and bored with them very quickly. I'm not amused by people falling and hurting themselves that much. Call me boring. Call me a square. I don't know. I guess I'm going to have to say it's the worst of us. I'm not entertained. Yo, here's the thing, man. I'm sorry. I'm an old nigga and... I just can't. I'm officially an old nigga. The yeah, milk crate I guess I am too. The milk crate challenge made me an old nigga. Because I don't, like, I see you people fall. You didn't think it was funny? No. I mean, Same. it's, it's kind of, don't get me wrong, it's compelling video. Just I'm watching the milk crate challenges. Watching milk crate challenges fucking compelling. That's like, it's, uh, let's not be obtuse. Mm -mm. Watching the milk crate challenge is compelling. Watch somebody get over to, or uh, will they get to the end? When they fall, though, them falls are <laughs> fucking treacherous, man. Them falls are crazy. I'm them falls are crazy. I saw a dude fell right on his McBack end. McBack, back, back. <laughs> and he's just his. I've seen people fall on their McBack ends. I've seen people fall on their Nick neck ends. I've seen ankles rolled. I've See, seen. It's all like why? Why would you want to put yourself at risk? I guess I'm old too. I'm, it's not. It's not the best of us. That's for sure. I'm not into it. So, would you do it if your friends had a no. if your friends had a, a stack of milk crates? No, no. It wouldn't either. No, no, I wouldn't do it. It's not worth I, it. I wouldn't do it at all. But like, wouldn't. if there was money at the end, I haven't seen anybody get paid. Like you said, if there was money at the end, how much money would it take for you to walk up the milk crate pyramid? Do you understand how how on the mend I'm going to be if I fall off the milk crates? I, 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 how much money? I'm not what doing it. Say? it. A mill. Yeah, I'll do it for a mill. Okay. I'll do it for a mill. Well, of course I'll do it for a mill, but do you understand? 100, 100, 100 Gs? 100 Gs, I could probably go across the milk crate too. Okay. See, see, see here's the problem though. Well, all of you guys that say... Because you're going to need it because you don't so, have insurance. So <laughs> here's the problem with all of you guys that say that you wouldn't do something for like 50000 The problem with it is that you've never seen 50000 cash. <laughs> I'd do it for fifty. See what I'm saying? The problem with the people saying that they wouldn't do something for fifty. Oh, I need a million dollars. I need it for, for most people that are listening to this right now, if I show you 50 cash, it's going to look like a million. That's yeah, so true. Like, you, like you've so never true. seen 50 cash. Like, you be in the, your homie crib and they and they doing all that shit and you're like, how much is that? And they're like, oh, that's was that 
37, 38, something like that. I'm like, God damn, that looks like all the money in the world. <laughs> so if you get like 100, you out of here. All right, that's enough. I'm getting lit up for my tweet on- uh, on What's your tweet? The My tweet about being annoyed at Jay-Z and them. Uh, are people on agreeing with me or you? No, they're saying that I work for TMZ. Oh, damn. You know what? This is this is what I really do appreciate, though. <laughs> People are always going to bring up TMZ with you, and they're always going to bring up The Bachelor with me. Why are you talking? You were on The Bachelor. Why are you talking? You were on TMZ, and I'm like, you know what? We're a couple You're of right. Yeah, but I don't have <laughs> a billion right. dollars, so fuck y'all. All right. Uh, that's it for us. Tell your thing caps off, but do not stop learning. I am Van Lathan. I'm Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Thank you to Bye our guys. guest, Larry Wilmore, and thank oh, you yeah. to our producers, Trudy Joseph and Donnie Beecham. Uh, we'll catch <laughs> you guys next Thursday. Wow. We'll catch you guys we'll later on We'll see you guys this Friday. Week. All right, bye. <laughs>